but I'm going to preach this last message this morning on This Is Life, and uh, the title of this message, don't be offended, but it's, that's what he said. That's what he said. I'm going to know what Jesus said we probably ought to pay attention to. Like two people, I heard like, a, like one person, amen, amen. How many of you know if Jesus said it, we probably ought to pay attention to it? We probably, that's way better, that's way better. Alternative title is follow Jesus because it won't be easy. It's hard to follow Jesus. Here's what the Lord said in Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here's the crux. We know that is the great commission, right? Go into all the world and show them what it is to be a Christian. Verse 20, but teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. What's he saying? He's saying all these things that I've said, all these things that, you know, now we have compiled in the book of the Bible, all these things, we better pay attention to the red letter verses. We better look out for the commands that Jesus gave us. He said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. He wanted us and he knew that if we could obey his commands, then we would truly be followers of Jesus. Commands... And obeying those commands imply we have a choice to obey those commands, don't we? Rhetorically, have you ever disobeyed a command of God? Deanne laughs. So Deanne has. Everyone, I just want you to know. Deanne. I mean, the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, right? We've all compromised in one way or another. There's no condemnation or throwing of stones or judging one another because everybody in this room has violated the commands of the Bible. Everybody, right? We're all guilty of violating the commands. I think of the story in 1 Samuel chapter 15 of Saul, the king of Israel, and he was kind of comfortable in his kinghood now, and he, he, you know, he's conquering these armies, and, and uh, he gets to this point where he, he's, he's tired of waiting for Samuel. God gives him a, a command to go and conquer a nation, and, 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 and God says, you're to destroy everything. You're to, you're to kill all the animals. You're just to wipe it off the face of the earth, which I realize in our current culture, people don't understand the God of the Old Testament very well, but that's a different sermon. I'm just saying, if you were like, man, why would God do that? That's a different sermon. Maybe one day we'll get there. If not, ask Zach Rainey because he'll talk to you about it. Um, but God commands him this, and, and Saul goes in, and, and in Saul's mind, he has lived complete, in complete obedience to the command of God. He goes in, and they, they, they kill everybody, uh, but they go, man, that cow would be great on Troy Retzloff's barbecue, you know? <laughs> Man, that cow would look really good. That sheep could really help my flock. You know? And they start making these compromises about the commands of God. And they bring the best, the, the Bible says, the choice of that nation back to camp. And so Samuel finally shows up because God speaks to him and uh, tells him that this is where God says, I'm sorry I've made Saul king because he doesn't listen to me. He doesn't listen and obey what I tell him to do. He does his own thing. Can I just say when we disobey the command of God for the sake of doing our own thing or what we desire, it hurts God. It hurts him. I'm not saying he's disappointed in us like he was with Saul, 
but it definitely has an effect on God's outlook. So Samuel comes and Saul in his, I don't know if it's stupidity or ignorance, goes, oh, bless the Lord, Samuel's here. And he's like having this moment of, 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 of victory, you know, and and Samuel says, why are you blessing the Lord? I've gone and conquered the kingdom. I've obeyed God. I've done all these things. You can just hear it in his preacher voice, right? I've done the things of God. And, and Samuel says, <laughs> Samuel says uh, what is this bleeding of the goat that I hear? What is this lowing of the cow that I hear? You didn't obey God. He's like, of course I obeyed God. I mean, we brought back the best of things. God said destroy it all, but we, you know, we did mostly what God wanted, you know, whatever, whatever. And Samuel gets to this in verse 22. Samuel said to him, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Here's something I've learned in my walk with God. Sacrifice is easier than obedience. It's easier for me to go, well, God, I'm going to sacrifice this time or this, you know, I'm going to fast and sacrifice this food. In fact, that was one of the ways I learned that lesson. Uh, I was fasting. I don't like, I may have told this story, but bear with me. I, I was fasting. I decided to do a fast and, you know, I just, I just decided to do one and I'm fasting and I'm complaining to the Lord about how hard it is and God, I'd really like to get some Chick-fil-A and just whatever. And um, it's Sunday, you can't get Chick-fil-A, so don't even think about it, but uh, I'm having this moment with the Lord, and I hear the Lord whisper in my ear, who told you to fast? Uh, you? I mean, Jesus is always the answer, right? So we just say, G Jesus? <laughs> and I learned a lesson in that moment that if God instructed me to fast, then that's obedience. But when I just choose to do it, it's sacrifice and not obedience. No, it doesn't mean we should never sacrifice. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying what the Bible tells us is that Saul constantly chose sacrifice over obeying his voice. But God is really clear. What he desires for us as we walk with him, as we follow him, is to be people who don't just sacrifice for the things of God, but people who obey the voice of the Lord. So I'll give you another example contemporary to us uh, with kingdom builders. We sacrifice in our budget so we can give to kingdom builders. But that sacrifice better be out of, a, of, a, of an obedience to the voice of the Lord. I don't want you to sacrifice out of your own, uh, your own thoughts and your own processes. I want you to hear from God for two reasons. If you obey God, God will bless you beyond what anything you could ever dream of. Amen? How many of you have experienced that before when you've obeyed the Lord? Number two, if you'll listen to the Lord, he'll ask you to do far more than you will decide in your heart to do. He'll ask you to do far more. I think that's one of the reasons we love to sacrifice because we know if we ask God what he really wants, to obey that voice is gonna cost us more than if we just sacrifice. If I sacrifice, I can decide what I'm going to give and the price I'm going to pay. But if I ask the Holy Spirit, oh, he might ask for everything. And he might. He desires obedience. So here's the 
passing. Well, let me say that what we are, Mark Batterson says this, we are biblically educated beyond our level of obedience. We know more about what to do than we actually execute in our lives. The level of our obedience is directly related to the level of our effectiveness in life and in ministry. You cannot separate obedience from effectiveness. God honors obedience over sacrifice. So here's what Jesus said, and this would be kind of the main text, Luke chapter 9. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Oh, there's that obedience part. He asked for it all. If you want to save your life, you actually have to give it up. What good is it for a man if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits his very soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and of the holy angels. If anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I would say this is the command or the voice of the Lord for a disciple of Jesus. It is the minimum calling that we all have on our life. This is not a calling for somebody in ministry. This is not a calling for somebody who really wants to be, you know, super saved or super anointed or whatever. This is a calling for the most basic disciple of Jesus to deny yourself, to take up your cross and to follow Jesus. And here's the bottom line, my friends. If you're unwilling to do those three things, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus. We've Americanized discipleship, haven't we? When I work at the district office, I get tired of running into churches who want you to do three things, serve on a team, go to a group, and come on Sunday morning. And if you magically do those three things, you attend church on Sunday, you serve on a team somewhere, and you, uh, you are in a small group, magically, somehow, ooh, you become a disciple. That is not what the Bible says. No shade at those churches, but you're wrong. The Bible says if anybody wants to be a disciple, he starts with himself. He takes up his cross to follow him. I think that this is the reason, this challenge is the reason so many people believe they're following God but are actually following something else. Jesus says in Matthew 7, here's the evidence. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform miracles? I mean, if we saw someone driving out demons, performing miracles, doing the miraculous, we would put them on TBN. They would have a TV. I mean, we would put them on such a pedestal that it would be incredible. And the Lord says, Depart from me because I don't know who you are. Why? Because they weren't real disciples. Are you with me? You're either really bored or you're with me. I don't know which one. So if you really want to follow Jesus, I really want to follow Jesus. And 
This has to unfold in my life. If you really want to follow Jesus, you've got to make some decisions. And it doesn't start with getting up every morning and deciding to just follow the Lord and read the Bible a little bit and try to, you know, try to do good things and be a good person. It starts first with dying. He said, if you want to come after me, the King James says you have to die. You have to lay your life down. So to live, this is, this would, if I have points, this is the first one. If you want to live for him, you have to die to you. If you want to live for God, you have to die to you. To deny or to die to yourself means to refuse yourself, means to, uh, to find where Jesus wants to work, not where you want to work. To invest where Jesus wants you to invest, not where you want to invest. It means refusing to give in to your own welfare, your own interests, your own advancement, your own agenda. Partnering with Christ rather than asking him to bless what you've chosen to do. I feel like we have, we all have some of this in us. We have, you know, as humans, we're, we're, we are self, we want to self-preserve. Every time I've been in a room with someone who's dying, I've always been amazed how hard our bodies fight for life. I'm always amazed at Christians when people die, uh, how quickly our hope and our trust and our belief in heaven flies out the window. How hard we pray for people who are close to death to be healed and I get it because we want to hold on to this life. Do you realize the life to come is so much better? The Lord says if we want to serve him, we're going to have to die to ourselves. How do we do that? I got a couple of, I got three sub points. Here you go. Number one, we got to understand kingdom. We have to understand kingdom. Not our kingdom, but his kingdom. In a kingdom, it is the king's will or God's will and no one else's will. I mean, I just want to say, you don't get a say. I don't get a say in how the world is going to unfold coming up to the coming of Christ. Right? It's not up to us what happens in this world. Kingdom, and I will say it this way, kingdom understanding trumps, no pun intended, American understanding. Kingdom understanding, living in the kingdom means you can't live in the kingdom of America. You have to live in the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of the world. I think Israel battled this a lot. In fact, uh, it's one of the reasons they rejected Jesus because Jesus came not to save Israel, but to save all mankind. And Israel could only see the kingdom of God through the lens of Israel. In America, that's really where a lot of church people are, a lot of Christians are right now. They see the, the world through the lens of American Christianity, not biblical kingdom Christianity. I'm just telling you it's dangerous. We've got to understand kingdom. Second, we've got to put aside our personal agendas, our preferences, and our ambitions. It involves submitting to our spiritual authorities that God puts in our life, laying aside individual rights and freedoms to the lordship of Jesus. It's not 
that God will ask you to abandon everything that gives you life or everything that you love. In fact, I, I don't believe God asks us to die to the good things in life, the things that he's blessed us with, uh, the things that give us life and hope. But if he does ask us to give it, will we give it? I used to say it this way. I had, uh, I had a guy in my church one time that uh, bought, a, bought a new bass boat, which is awesome. How many of you love a new bass boat? Anybody love it? Yeah. Great. Go buy a bass boat. But if God asks you to sell it and give the money away, will you do it? Because if your answer is, oh, I just couldn't do that. You know, I just don't know if I, could, if I could pull the trigger on that kind of a thing. But if God asked you to do it, I, he wouldn't ask me to do that. He, God would never ask me to give away something that I have, you know, or, you know, that, that I love or whatever. Ah, he might. And if he does and you say no, you're an idolater. Because you're worshiping that thing more than you're worshiping the Lord. It's a big deal. I, look, I'm just going to be real honest and forgive me. For, I just, I've been saying a lot of mean things today, so we might as well keep going with it. <laughs> One of the things I think God is asking the American church not to abandon, but to set aside as a non-essential is politics. And I know some of you agree with me on that. Some of you don't agree with me on that. That's okay. It's all right. We can still be friends. I still love you. I'll still eat if you take me out to dinner. I mean, it's good. <laughs> that was a joke. But in our culture right now, we can't give politics aside from Jesus, and we can't give Jesus politics. We have to give the kingdom. I mean, the kingdom is better than the donkey and, uh, and the elephant anyway, right? Like. Right, so I just think it's one. It's it's a piece right now that is being used by our enemy to divide not only the world but the body of Christ, and we have to be careful about that because it can become idolatry. I know some of you are like, I don't know about that. That's not what Glenn Beck said, but I'm just saying <laughs> that we got to be careful. I'm not saying don't be involved in politics. I'm not saying that at all. I believe Christians should not check out. That's a wrong thing to do. But we better not die on that hill because that's not the hill of Golgotha. We better die on Golgotha, not on the hill of politics. All right, I should move on before I get in trouble. Don't send me emails. It'll hurt my feelings. <laughs> Third thing, you've got to decrease. We've got to decrease so he can increase. John 3.30, it's one of the most profound passages of Scripture when Jesus is baptized after he's baptized, all these people begin to go to Jesus and John the Baptist. People leave him and his disciples get jealous for John. They get jealous for John. John, aren't you upset that all these people are abandoning you and going to Jesus? And John says, no, that he's the one that's got the answers. I need to decrease so that he can increase. That's true in our lives, isn't it? See, we think we can get more of God and not change ourselves. We think we can have God be more active and effective in our lives, but yet live the way we want to live every other day of the week. We can have the great blessings of God doing the things we want to do the way we want to do it, and God will bless it. That's not the way this works. 
We have to decrease so that he may increase. We have to realize that these ideas, some of these things we talked about are foreign to global and biblical Christianity. They are very American ideas. And they're foreign to what we see in the scriptures. They're foreign to how our brothers and sisters are living out the following Jesus around the world who literally are physically dying for the gospel. We don't feel it here the way that they do there. You'll never die physically for God. If he ever asks you to have the gift of martyrdom, which you only use once, but if he ever asks you to have that gift, if you've never died to yourself, you'll never die for him physically. You'll never give your life for the kingdom of God. We have to die to ourselves. The second thing I would say is you have to, to embrace his cross. You have to carry your own. There's a scope and sequence to this idea. In other words, uh, nobody in their right mind, if they had not died to themselves, would ever pick up a cross. In fact, uh, the illustration that I would use is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he prayed and he wept and he cried out to God, what did he pray? Lord, don't do this. There's got to be another way for this to happen. God, don't let this happen. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What happened in that one sentence? Jesus died. That's when he died. Nevertheless, not what I want, God, but what you want is what we want. That's what I want. Well, I want what you want. And in that moment, Jesus died. And that's why he was willing to pick up his cross and carry it to Golgotha and be nailed and whipped and beaten. Bible says in Hebrews 12, so much so that he scoffed or he scorned the shame of the cross. Psh, that thing, psh, that's nothing. The cross, you can't, you can't take me out. I mean, that's what that means. He was just like, you'll never carry your cross if you don't die to yourself. What does it mean to carry your cross or carry your load, take up your cross for the Lord? First thing I'd say is this, being hidden behind the cross so people only see Jesus. Being hidden behind the cross. Our death exchanged for Christ's life, the cross, or, or more accurately, our hope in Christ through the cross must be central to our life, must not be peripheral on the outside or sort of out there. Maybe people will know that you know, you're following Jesus, but, but it should be central to who we are. Not a bumper sticker on your car, not a meme that you share on social media, but something that pervades and penetrates every part of your life. And if the cross hasn't penetrated every part of your life, you've got work to do. Because it should be everything. It should be all people see. I love the ministries of our church. I love the things we do outwardly. But if we ever give away one Christmas gift or one box of food or, or teach one class or do anything at all down on Cincinnati Street, if we do any of those things to appreciate ourselves and not put the cross in front, we have missed it entirely because it's the cross. It's the cross. Be hid behind the cross. Second thing I'd say is this, live an ordinary life extraordinarily. And I'll say it this way. Again, I'm saying mean things, so I'm just going to say it this way. Would you start being willing to take risks for God? 
I'll say it to myself. Would you start being able to stick your neck out there for God? Some of you have dreams in your heart and things that you would love to do, but when it comes right down to it, oh, I couldn't do that. I'd, that, would, that would intimidate me. I'd be so scared. I'm such an introvert. I could never talk to my friend. I could never do this or that or whatever. Man, the risk aversion in the body of Christ today is like I've never seen it before. Let's be willing to take risks for God, live an ordinary life, extraordinary. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans 12 in the message. So here's what I want you to do. God help you. <laughs> and that means it ain't going to be easy. Take your everyday, ordinary life, not the spectacular, but your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around, and place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does for you as the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, ready to recognize what he wants from you and quick to respond to it. There's that obedience. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. Ain't that the truth? God brings the best out of you. God brings the best out of you. So develop well-formed maturity in your life. I love that version. I know it's like embellished, right? <laughs> You're like, that's not what the Greek said. No, it's not. But it's pretty clear. Live an ordinary life. You're coming and you're going and you're sleeping and you're eating. But do it extraordinarily with God's anointing and power in your life. Live an ordinary life. Extraordinarily. And I just think that means what God is going to call the church to do in the coming decades, in the coming generation, is to take extraordinary risks for the kingdom of God. They're not going to make sense to us. They're not going to look right. They're not going to, they're not, in our mind, and some of them they won't even look like it will matter. But God is going to ask us to do things simple and big that are so crazily impactful to the kingdom of God. But until we get past that aversion to risk and unwillingness to live extraordinarily, we'll never be able to say yes. He wants us to live extraordinarily. What, what's another one? Take responsibility for the kingdom of God and its spread in the world. I love our kingdom builders. I love that we send missionaries around the world. I love that we pay projects so that, so that pastors can be trained and, and soccer schools and baseball schools can get established. I, I love that we do crazy things and start businesses around the world so that people can meet Jesus. But you know what we can't neglect? We can't neglect right here in Greater Lafayette. We got an all, if you never walked down this wall of all the unreached people groups, it's incredible. But can we just, can, and I said something to Andrew la, last week or the week before, there's a blank wall over there. And you know what needs to go? I, not there, I, you're not going to see it. It's through that wall right there. But if you go in there, look, there's a blank wall right there. And you know what that wall needs to become? We need to be the tip of the spear around the world. We need to be the tip of the spear right here in Tippecanoe County. We need to be the tip of the spear. We need to be the ones leading the way in the kingdom of God. Not so we're impressive. Let's hide behind the cross, but let's move the kingdom of God forward in the lives of people in Tippecanoe County and in your life and in your family. Lastly, of this point, <laughs> let's be clear here. I mean, 
and I think this is huge, become satisfied with Christ as your reward and heaven as your promise. What if no one recognizes your awesomeness? Are you good with that? Are you okay if nobody acknowledges the gifts that you have? If you don't get your way, do you trust Christ's plan? Is his companionship and presence in your life enough, uh, good enough for you if he never did another thing? Do you understand how unique the fact that he's just with you every moment of the day? I think this is one of the most difficult places for me and all of us to live because we want to know we're doing a good job. We want to know somebody sees the activity of God in our lives. And I just want you to know, we have to get to the place where we don't care if anybody recognizes our awesomeness or if, or, and we don't care who gets the credit for what God does. Satisfied with Christ is my reward. Heaven is my promise. Now, lastly, he said we've got to deny ourselves. We've got to pick up our cross. And then the third step, Jesus says, and I just want you to know, he doesn't say this until after we've died to ourselves and picked up our cross. Then we follow his steps. It's the heart of the command. It's ultimately where Jesus wants us to get. He wants us to get past that denying and dying to ourselves. He wants us to get past that taking up our cross. Those are the simple things, the easy parts. Following him is hard. I'm reminded of the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, to this you were called. And I want you to hear this because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. What's the example that he left? Suffering. I'm, ta- I'm signing people up right now for suffering. Who's ready? Peter says, Christ suffered for you and left you an example so that you should follow in his steps. You should go where he went. We think suffering is like a negative thing from God, like God's punishing us or God's allowing it in our lives or whatever. Oh, what what did I do wrong? What happened? And we think when everything's going smooth in our life that God's happy with us. God is more happy with us when we suffer because that's the example he set. What did Paul say? I want to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. How do I know God? Well, I get acquainted with his suffering. How do we... Follow his steps. We continually die to ourselves and take up our cross. Number two, we begin to minister to people the way Jesus did. When we're following him, his example, he was on mission. He was serving and loving people, sinners and saints. He loved people who disagreed with him. He loved people who were pagans and lived completely in the world. He attempted to realign religious people, but he loved the people who were far from God. He preached the kingdom with words and with his life. We've got to minister like him. We've got to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to provide effectiveness in our life. We can't get in the habit of doing things. I love what Pastor Jim said about doing things in our giftedness or our experience and our understanding. Friends, we have to always be dependent on the Spirit of God no matter how many times we've done it. We have to know that we still need the Spirit of God to refresh us and anoint us new every time we do whatever it is that we're doing. Even if we've done it a million times, we get into trouble when we start 
striving to do it on our own and trying to make something happen. But if the Holy Spirit is active daily in your life, you'll find yourself in the secret place. You'll participate in the word of God. You'll participate in the presence of God. And you'll participate in the community of faith because that's what the Holy Spirit is gonna lead you to do if you're following in the steps of Jesus. He wants those things for us to carry his cross, deny ourselves and follow him. So what? That's nice. We talked through one of the most famous commands of Jesus and passages of scripture in the New Testament. So here's, here's the questions. Who are you following? Are you following a great author? Are you following a great preacher? Are you following a political figure, a party, or an ideal, or a cause? Are you following a social movement? Are you following a career path? Are you following a schedule of home improvement and career advancement to make your life better? Are you following Dave Ramsey's plan? Who are you following? Because the only one we should follow is the one who can save us from death. All the other things are peripheral. All the other things are extra. All the other things are added to. But if you ever follow those things, if you ever chase after those things outside of first following Jesus Christ, you will get lost. He's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only light. I'm not saying it's easy to do. I'm not saying it's simple to do. I'm not saying that it's, if you say yes to it and if you, and if you really press into denying yourself and taking up your cross to follow Christ, that everything's just going to fall into place. I actually think it'll be harder than you think it will be and you'll suffer more than you think it, you'll suffer. And you'll pay more than you think you would pay. The challenge is real. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. Aren't you glad for that? Like mostly? <laughs> Why? Because I don't want you to stand before God and him say, I didn't know who you were. Hey, you did some nice things. Congratulations. But I don't know you. Man, I want you to know him. I want him to know you in the power of his resurrection. And the only way, the only prescriptive way is to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow in his steps. Jesus, you laid it out there for us. And it's not easy. It wasn't easy for you. It wasn't easy for the disciples. It wasn't easy for the first century church. It's not been easy for any church since then. And God, if we're truthful about it, it's not easy today, even in our culture that has wonderful freedom. So Lord, right now, um, you can say things better than I can pray them. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, here's what I want you to ask the Lord. God, where's the place in my life where I'm living for myself? I've not 
denied myself. I've not pushed that aside. Where's the place in my life where I'm failing to pick up my cross, where I'm failing to strive for the kingdom? I'm failing to realize your plan trumps my plan. Where's the place in my life, God, where I'm failing to follow you? I want you to ask the Lord that right now. We're just going to give a moment here for the Holy Spirit to speak. Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak. What do I need to lay down? What do I need to put to death? What area of my life needs transformation and reformation? Will I follow Jesus? I'm going to ask you to stand with me all over the room. We're almost done, I promise. I want to say this. I believed firmly denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus is not a once and done event. It's not a trolley up to an altar. It's not just a moment of prayer. It's not just a transformation that takes place in a moment. It's a daily decision to deny yourself. God, today I don't want to live for myself. I don't want to live for me. I don't want to live for the things that are in my heart. I want to live for your heart. I deny myself. God, I don't want to carry the cross I choose. I want to carry the cross you've chosen. I want to carry the burdens that you want me to carry. God, I want to do that. I want to know you in suffering. And God, I want to follow in your steps. Wherever they lead me, whatever risk they ask me to take, whatever thing you ask me to give up, or give away, or walk away from, or say no to, or abandon, or even doors you want me to say yes to, I want to follow in the steps you're leading. It's an everyday choice. It's an everyday moment. So in this everyday moment, what will you choose? What will you choose? Here's how we're going to close of the worship team sing. This altar is open. If you have business to do with God about your dying, your carrying, or your following, I want you to come and spend some time with the Lord. If you can stay in your seat and figure it out with the Lord, that's good too. But don't leave this place without examining where you are in this command to follow him. What are you going to do? How are you going to proceed? Who are you going to follow? Jesus, I pray you draw everyone who should come. In Jesus' name. If you want to come, I want you to come. Come now.